What's good, everybody? I'm John Zestremski, host of New York, New York with JJ, the first podcast on the Ringer and Spotify dedicated to you, the New York sports fan. We've got episode three nights a week, plus bonus episodes whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow the show on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome to this free agency primer special edition of the group chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, Rob Mahoney, Big Wise. Gentlemen, are you ready for the real offseason to begin? Only when we retake that again, because we talked about this last year. It's primer, not primer. Get it together. <laughs> is it actually? It actually is primer, not primer. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll figure that out in the meantime. Uh, but the draft is over with, which means that we are pivoting very quickly here to all of the other offseason moves on the table here. Big trades for stars, potentially free agent signing. Not a great class in free agency, but two or three or four major things always seem to happen at the most inopportune moments, especially when you're out and not expecting these type of things. So uh, but first, let's get to the thing that happened last night outside of the draft. The big one, Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers. Uh I asked a couple people after this happened, like, what were your takes? And it was generally like WTF in various forms, <laughs> including with Rob. So Waz, what was your what was your takeaway from this one? Can you even make sense of what the Lakers are thinking here? Yeah, I think the sense is that Russ, flawed a player as he is, he is still immensely talented. That's the one. And two, he's really close with LeBron. They have a really great relationship. By all accounts, they're friends. Like, actually, NAD. Yeah. genuinely friends. And so, you know, that's the, the thinking there. I think people like me, and I'm assuming the people that you talk to, uh, why we would be confused by it, is like, look, ever since Miami de-emphasized D-Wade's role um, on the team back when LeBron was over there, we figured out that the formula to optimize what LeBron does is to surround him with shooting. 
and guys who can, you know, play credible defense. That's that's it. That's basically, <laughs> that's the long and the short of it, right? And so all the complimentary pieces, you know, going forward, whether it be getting guys like Channing Fry or even acquiring a J.R. Smith or, you know, uh, and I mentioned this last night on Green Room, but like even when Ty Lue was like, we're taking out Richard, we're taking out Kevin Love in the finals in 2016 to play Richard Jefferson because Jefferson was playing credible defense and could knock down an open jump shot. Um, the thinking was always the same thing, like get guys who can knock down open looks and play some defense around this guy. And that's borne so much freaking fruit in the last 10 years. Like we've all watched it happen. You know, not even just the championships, just look at the improbable Cavs runs where these guys are going to the finals where they, it was just Brown and a bunch of guys in that second Cleveland iteration. So to go out and get Russ, who is the antithesis of that, he's been bad on defense for years now, um, can't shoot, is ball dominant, takes the ball out of LeBron's hand in order to optimize what he does the best, it becomes a head scratcher. It doesn't have to be this hard. You know, it really doesn't. And I think that's what's kind of confounding about the way the Lakers have navigated the last couple of years in general with some of the rosters they've built, with some of the moves that they've made. I just never thought we'd ever see LeBron play with anyone as ball dominant as Westbrook ever again. I thought those days were completely done and we would see different kinds of guards, different kinds of combo guards and point guards rotate in and out and it'd be fine. But this is just a whole different thing. And the shooting and the defense that was nailed, I mean, those are big concerns. And it'd be one thing if Westbrook could do one, but right. not the other, but he's bad at both. <laughs> yeah. But and, and to me, it's so much about just the gravitational pull that Westbrook has on every team he plays for. He forces everyone around him to change. And he's, I think, you know, in Houston especially, I think he was amenable to changing some himself. But in order to do that, the Rockets basically had to make this unprecedented jump mm -hmm. to punting on the center position and basically playing Russ as your center. The Lakers already have AD to basically <laughs> fill that spot. So, and he so doesn't what even does this play mean? Center. He doesn't, <laughs> maybe that's the solution. Play play Russ Westbrook at the five. AD can play the four. Um, it's just a strange mind bending trade. Yeah, if there's a way to rationalize it, and you really have to strain to do so. It's that the whole name of the game in all these transactional like things that we talk about is to accumulate stars, right? It's that old Daryl Morey, Sam Hinkie thing, the whole goal of tanking and all that other stuff, all the working the margins in order to get those second round picks is to accumulate stars because that is what dictates championships. <laughs> I guess you could look at this roster and say like, Rob, you wrote about this last night for the ringers, just like in those non-LeBron minute, minutes, Russ can still be Russ. And yeah. if even in the midst of everyone bagging on him and him being traded twice in a row and now three times uh, that he did have moments of brilliance, that he was like ultimate Russ on those Houston Rockets teams without Clint Capella there. And then like at the end of this season, like he brought the Wizards back into the play and mix. Like there still is a very competent, great player there. I just like... I, there has to be something we're missing here that they have shooters lined up that Buddy Heald can still be worked into this deal as a sign-in trade. I don't know. Like the, yeah. the difficult part about all of this now is like they have four players on the roster <laughs> and they have to go, fill out the rest of it and find those shooters with minimums and the taxpayer, taxpayer's mid-level exception. 
Yeah, and another thing, I think to talk about Russ's fit, I think D-Wade is very instructive, specifically the last two seasons that Braun was in Miami where, you know, he turns into this off-ball threat. Um, a lot of times when he is attacking, he's attacking out of the mid post, which Russ has shown himself to be a pretty good post player um, throughout the course of his career when he's put his mind to it. And, you know, like, there's these ways that really smart and savvy guys can figure out how to be effective even while not being knocked down shooters around LeBron. The problem is Westbrook has never demonstrated himself to be that. Um, another thing, you know, it, it, and it bears mentioning, Westbrook is one of the best transition players in the history of the sport, and that'll be something that he he brings to the table. But I think, I think how LeBron is looking at it, again, is like, it's not going to be the rust from OKC. He's going to be able to play off of me. And I think, you know, the the irresistible force versus the immovable object, which is <laughs> every single team LeBron has ever played on has taken on the character of LeBron. And every yep. single team Russ has ever played on has taken on the character <laughs> of Russ. And now yeah. we're going to put that to the test. But I think, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see because I think LeBron's whole thing is always the same thing. It's like, if I get somebody in here, I'm going to get them on the program. You know, even Kyrie, to a certain extent, was on the program. He ended up right. requesting a trade to Boston eventually. <laughs> but he, while Schroeder, he was there, same thing, right? Schroeder right. did not want to get with the program. Yeah, right. Um, these guys were on the program. I think Bron, he he has confidence that he could get these guys, Russ Westbrook specifically, to be on the program. Yeah, I mean, it. It. I can't wait for Russ to tell LeBron to run with him in transition to see what LeBron says, because it's the complete opposite of the way LeBron's career is going. I think the hitch with getting, uh, getting Westbrook on the program is, can we make Russell Westbrook a better cutter or a more active cutter has been a conversation since OKC. Yeah. You know, that, that, that conversation has not died. It's only just gone away because people gave up on it. The D-Wade thing is going to come up a lot, and I think it is a really instructive parallel. The difference was, even at that time, you know, our buddy Tom Haberstra wrote about this a lot for ESPN.com. Even though Dwayne Wade wasn't a good shooter, he had incredible gravity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People would guard him. People had to pay attention to him because he was such an active off-ball player. Westbrook isn't that. And so while we can paint parallels in terms of some of the skill set, some of the explosiveness, the fact that they do want to go to the basket, all that stuff is absolutely true. But what they do when they don't have the ball in their hands is totally different. And that's always been Westbrook's crutch. And, and, I, and I hesitate to use the word smart or intelligence, but D-Wade is just a savvier player than Westbrook has ever been. But, and D-Wade had that when he was a freaking kid. You know what it I'm saying? It was also a different time, though. Yeah. Like, I, yes, I wonder absolutely. if Wade would be guarded way differently now. Yeah. It's fair. Uh, you know, and I think, because again, I'm I'm just as down as you guys are on the trade, but if you want to look at it from a rosy sort of way of looking at it, LeBron doesn't want to be ball dominant in the regular season specifically. He, you know, clearly that's why they got guys like Rondo and Schroeder in there. And Russ is going to do a lot of the on-ball stuff when LeBron is just straight up like, I don't feel like doing this. And I think Bron and AD do possess that gravitational pull, right? Like, they will open stuff up for Westbrook because people have to be occupied by those guys when they don't have the ball. And, you know, I think Westbrook, the one thing that he's shown a complete and utter market improvement from the beginning of his career to now is his passing. He is a way better passer 
than we ever thought he could be and that he, you know, that he gets credit for even to this day because he's seen as this ridiculous gunner. It's just for me, earlier in the day when I'm hearing they're going to get Buddy Yield and keep <laughs> KCP, and then it turns into we're throwing KCP in the deal and not getting healed, and it's going to be Westbrook instead. I think that's what's really bringing this trade down for me. It's just like, bro, you were going to surround Braun and AD pick and rolls with healed and KCP, and now you're not. <laughs> like, damn. Yeah, it's one thing to empower Westbrook and to take that load off of LeBron, but now you're almost like, what is the whole thing about spiting your face, biting your nose to spite yeah, your face yeah, or whatever yeah. it is? Mm -hmm. I can never get that right. Me neither. Um, but you're counting on a bunch of minimum guys in order to do that. Like you're counting on just like just the bottom of the barrel, probably a lot of veterans looking at the I mean, I'm hearing chase. Otto Porter, Otto Porter Sh buzz, which I think sure again, like, on a minimum. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm hearing Rudy Gay buzz, which again, I love Rudy Gay. <laughs> I mean, so do I. But again, I, I think. Look, when you have LeBron and AD, specifically AD on defense, like so much of your defensive problems are so solved that guys don't have to go out and be Miles Bridges, right? Like the role players don't have to be that great. They have mm -hmm. to be pretty good because you have AD. And then on offense, it's like, I have LeBron. Like I'm going to muster, I have LeBron and AD. I'm going to muster decent possessions kind of no matter who I get out there. So... I understand the, how tantalizing it is to go out and just be like, well, we'll just do it on the uh, minimum market. But Jesus Christ. <laughs> this do you is know who the, scary. Uh, the biggest winner of this trade is? It's Rob Mahoney. Because oh. in addition to the big three they have here, the only player actually under contract for next season is Mark Gasol. And so after Boom. Andre Drummond, after all these other big men they tried to put next to LeBron and like overthink it, Gasol is the one and only. The last man standing. <laughs> Who can argue with the results? Right. Uh, they could also bring back Caruso and, and THT on uh, just using their bird rights. I should but they but they still have to go out and do that. That's the thing is like right. for a blockbuster type trade, this is really an opening move much so, much more than a closing move. They have so much work to do in terms of filling out this roster, whether it's Otto Porter, Rudy Gay, whoever it is. But if you're those guys, it's not like they're not going to have their own markets. They're going to get offers from mm -hmm. the Nets and from these mm -hmm. other high level teams mm -hmm. that are going to be really attractive. And as we as Justin hit off the top, this is not a super deep free agent market. And so you have to go out and get those guys. You have to compete for Alex Caruso. You have to match whatever Taylor right. Horton Tucker gets. And, you know, sometimes you get to the end of the line with these things and you're filling out your roster with minimum guys and you end up with like Justin Jackson and Sandarius Thornwell or something like that could be <laughs> that could be the end game of some of these roster spots. So I am I am sympathetic to the idea that there's a lot of work to be done. This could be a very different picture once we get all the shooters in there. But it's just different when you don't have, you know, a, a guy like KCP locked into your roster who you know can hit some shots, can chase can chase guys as a mm -hmm. defender, can give you a lot of good two-way play. It's hard not having that stuff. Yeah, the ultimate troll move for any franchise, maybe the Clippers or someone that really wants to stick it to the Lakers, is to give THT like as much as humanly possible and force the Lakers to match because they do not have any other recourse. Um, I want to talk about the other teams involved in this trade here, and also the Kings because they're kind of uh, in the ripple effects of it. Uh, I kind of like what the Wizards are doing. Like, they don't really hit home runs. They hit more like singles that they could stretch into doubles. But they've done a lot of that since they've changed who's running the organization. Uh, like, I don't 
particularly love Kuzma. KCP is fine. Like they didn't get great players, but like Russell Westbrook once again was talked about as this untradeable contract, mm-hmm. like the millstone that they had to wear around their franchise for however long it goes. And all of a sudden they're off of it and their team is like, it's it's fine. And you're empowering Bradley Beal once again. I guess the question now is like, do you see enough in sort of the 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 studs of this franchise that it could be something with Beal as its go-to guy? Like, Waz, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I watched the last two seasons of the Wizards. I'm sorry. No, this team is not is going nowhere fast. I I understand that 10th seeds are great for Leonis and he loves it. I I get that. Um, and again, I'm not I'm not one of these people who are like, if you're not tanking and trying to accumulate draft picks to get the next KD and LeBron, or you're not the Lakers already or the Nets, then you're doing nothing. I'm not one of those people, right? Like, I admire what the Hawks are doing. I admire what Phoenix did this year. I admire all of that stuff, right? But at the same time, like, that's that's not them. They're neither of those things. They're neither solidly in the playoffs, nor are they completely horrible. So... This is this is literally the worst of all worlds. So no, I don't feel confident that they're going to build some winner um, based on the bones that exist currently on the on the roster. Like I don't see how you could think that from having watched these guys play. Well, plus guys like us can sit here and say, "Oh, I kind of like how you know if, if we take the skipping step of trading Wall for Westbrook, what they basically got for John Wall in the end is this haul." You know, right. they basically swapped out first round picks. This is the, the you know, what they got for John Wall, which isn't bad considering where he was in his career. Guys like us can sit here and admire that. Guys like Brad Beal, they don't care. <laughs> right. Like they they want to be they want to be surrounded by really good players. And, you know, to the extent that Beal and Westbrook still wanted to play together, I don't know. But it's certainly, you know, it, it it's a ding on your franchise to lose a player with that kind of reputation and name, to lose a player with that kind of star power, even if he wasn't getting everything done that you needed to get done. See, Charks talks a lot about how when you're younger, you don't really care as much about winning. You just want to prove yourself and get that max contract. Ensure that like that is in place and you've solidified yourself as an all-star in this league and get that status and whatnot before you care about this other thing. I kind of feel like Brad Beal is taking the reverse where he had some success early on with those Wizards teams Mm -hmm. that made it in the playoffs. And now he's going backwards and being like, no, I actually want to be the Harden. It's just based on everything is out here. Like maybe it will change by the time this podcast ends. Like Beal doesn't want to go. And I almost wonder, like it it goes back to this idea that like everything is based on the whims of, of stars. Like they could just decide whatever they want. And like, I do wonder, like maybe Brad just like wants to be a guy on a team and that is his goal. I, I could see it. I don't know. I mean, he did not seem to be taking those losses particularly well early last season. Like sure. he, he seems like a guy who who has been through it, who badly wants to, you know, get back to the other side of getting into the playoffs, being on a competitive team. I, I don't think he wants to just settle. I think he he's trying to push the Wizards in the way he thinks he should. As to whether he ultimately stays there long term, I mean, I think they still have a lot to even if he gives them this year, they have a lot to prove to him in terms of why he should stay. Yeah. <laughs> All of that stuff sounds good, right? When you say it out loud to a reporter or, you know, via email or you're on the phone with somebody or whatever. It sounds good when it comes out of your mouth. But, you know, the other guy who's been hotly in trade rumors this offseason is who? Dame Lillard. 
He's the one who came out and took that tact about doing it the hard way and loving Oakland and he's going <laughs> to do it. They're the ones that believed in me, blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking about a trade. Like, it, like this is right. just what it is. Losing yeah. all the time doesn't feel good. No matter how much you want to feel like the man, et cetera, et cetera. No matter how much you've said, you've chirped. Chirp, 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 chirp. Like even Giannis, I love that he banged on the table after he won the championship. Let them had lost to Brooklyn, a hobbled Brooklyn in the second round. <laughs> Let that had happened like it was kind of supposed to. He would have been singing a different tune, right? So, you know, Brad Bill, I, you can't possibly want to do what he's been doing on the Wizards for the past four years. Like, that can't possibly be your goal as, you know, a star NBA player. Playing games. This is New York Forever Waz singing a very different tune now that he's an L.A. transplant. Now you've seen the light <laughs> of empowerment of moving across the country and finding your destiny. Touché. I like it. Touche. <laughs> Listen, guys, you don't know that Bradley Beal isn't texting his friends all about how hard Tony Gafford rolls to the rim or how Don- Denny Avdia's cuts <laughs> are just like brilliantly timed. All right. You haven't seen his emails, man. Let's, uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Is messing up Daniel Gafford's name now just a bit? <laughs> oh, fucking Christ, Daniel. Yeah, I said Justin before. Now it's Tony. Um, Tony, it sounds like more of a, of a Gafford. I don't know. Um, let's let's turn to the, the Kings part of this one. Um, so they still have Buddy healed, and they already had a crowded backcourt. They uh, also drafted Davion Mitchell in the draft, which led to a lot of head scratching from people. Uh I guess they are forcing their hand here. Uh, what, what do you, Rob, what, what do you do with healed here? Um, do you see like a natural fit for him on another team? If you're the Kings, is he a good enough player where you're just like, well, he shoots really well. I actually just want to keep him around. I mean, I wish he were a little bit more positionally versatile so that you could play him with some of these smaller guards and feel good about it. But because he isn't a great defender, because he isn't huge in terms of length, he kind of limits what you can do there. He's going to have a market. The question is, can you get him to the teams that need him? And do those teams have enough salary to send back? Because like the Sixers would be a perfect trade target. They just don't have the contract filler to make that make sense. Unless, you know, the Kings eventually get in on like a three-way trade that involves Ben Simmons later or something like that. So I think it could get complicated. I could see the Knicks getting in on him a little later in the summer. You know, if they whiff on some of their, their cap space plans. I could see, I was kind of wondering if the Spurs might have interest in Buddy Heald with, you know, some of their longer term prospects, a guy like Devin Vassell, for example, if you could sell the Kings on, hey, here's the small forward you don't have, uh, you know, that could that could plug in to be a part of your long term core. Could that be interesting to them? I don't know. But Heald, Heald is tough because he he is very attractive in terms of skill set. Everyone can use a shooter of his caliber, but can you make room for a $22 million salary? That's a different question. Yeah, you know, the team that immediately came to my mind was Dallas. Um, mm. And and that's because, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract is up. Who knows what direction that goes, right? Like, that could get pretty... Like, I think he's a bellwether for the market because that can get pretty crazy. Like, it's not impossible to think that he might think, hey, four years, $100 million. What the fuck? Look at what I did in the playoffs last year. I'm solidly a starting caliber two guard in this league. I'm an elite shooter. Um, mm-hmm. My thing is, you know, he doesn't have any on-ball stuff. Neither, But neither does Buddy Heald. You know, like, Buddy Heald is not really a shot creator. He's kind of just catch and shoot. Like, he does... <laughs> 
don't get it twisted. He does take shots off the dribble. He's just not very good at it. Well, we can we can happily report he can actually dribble a little bit now. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. He is he is elevated to a little bit of dribbling and passing, which we'll take. It. But right. he is elite as a shot maker, which I I think like yeah. applies to virtually every team in the league. Like he isn't an ideal fit for some teams, but I'm just like thinking about like the teams that could use him. I'm like. Literally every team needs uh, a 40% three-point shooter. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's the type of thing where like if you're the Kings, maybe you should take note that of that fact that he is such a modern player that a lot of teams would want and think to yourself like, maybe I could find a fit for him somewhere. Or maybe there might not be a rush. You know, like that doesn't necessarily have yeah, to what happen is the rush? right now. Maybe, maybe that's a move that comes closer to the deadline when someone's needs are a little bit more apparent. But also right. when you're the Kings and you're the Knicks East, like, what are you doing right now? What is your team, right? Like, for instance, you know, we bring up Phoenix. We kind of know Phoenix's offseason is like, we're, bringing, we're trying to bring back Chris Paul. We're trying to get better. We just came from the final. Like, there's a clear idea about who they are. Utah, you go down the line. Even I would say on the different end of the spectrum, Memphis, who's like, we're not in a rush to get way better. We're nowhere close to anything that's going to matter in this league. We don't mind gaining an asset so that we could take a step back in talent because we're not there yet. Like, these are teams who know exactly who they are. Who the fuck are the Kings? (laughs) They just keep compounding the issue they already had, which is that their backcourt is crowded, right? But I will say, we have a Davion Mitchell fan in the midst here, and we have to pay some bills. So I I think this is a good time to pivot. Uh, Guys, do you know how some folks are quick to doubt the rookies or even understate their excellence coming into the league? Make no mistake, this is their time to shine and show out with career-defining moves on that court. Wise, you liked one particular overlooked rookie in this draft class. Who is it? Yeah, I think it's got to be Davion Mitchell. I think on talent, he was one of the top seven or six guys probably, right? Just on talent, but because of his age... I think people were scared of him. But to me, he's not one of these older players where in college he stuck around and outskilled and outsmarted people. This guy is elite athletically. Um, to me, he's a souped-up Patrick Beverly in his final form. And that's an extremely valuable NBA player. So to me, he's the most slept-on rookie. And I don't just say that because he gave us the exclusive interview on Full Court Fits. <laughs> Go check that out on YouTube at the Ringer's YouTube page. Sure. Well, that's a wrap, my friends. And just like these rookies won on the court, you could win with your insurance by getting the personalized service of a local agent, all for a surprisingly great rate with State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, Waz brought up Chris Paul before, and I do think that not only is he interesting because he is technically a free agent or he can opt out of his contract and become a free agent, uh, but you do hear now around the league that the Chris Paul effect is something that teams, I think, are are starting to uh, want to replicate. Uh, Rob, 
Do you think that's like a model that teams should be following? Or is this the classic case of this is on trend and people are going to try to to jump on it? Yeah, I mean, you hear a lot of this going around. But it's I think it's a model in the sense that a high-level veteran guard can help iron out the kinks of your team. There's no question about that. Is it replicable in the way that like a borderline playoff team can go to the NBA Finals? Obviously not. And that's where that's where there's just a gulf between those two things, between can this guy get us to competence? Can he get us to like game-to-game organization? And can he get us deep in the playoffs? Those are incredibly different goals uh, that an organization would aim for. And let's not forget, like Chris Paul was an all-NBA player. <laughs> all-NBA player and a clear Hall of Famer long before that. To take like a fringe all-star guy like a Lowry or a Conley, who are both great players, but them. they're just not they're not on that level. They're mm-hmm. not they're not doing for you what Chris Paul does. Yeah, that, you know, that would be like me becoming a GM one day and, and being like, you know what I want to replicate? The LeBron James effect. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, get LeBron James, have top free agents want to flock to my team, force trades to my team. Yeah, I want to replicate that. The problem with the Chris Paul effect is that you need Chris Paul for it. Um, and so, like, this idea that if you're say, oh, I don't know, David Griffin, who's my man, right? We love, we love Griff. Um, expert media personality. Um, he's had a rough time so far in New Orleans. But, like, I think that's the reason we're bringing up this, this conversation because they clearly cleared up, all, went out of their way to clear up all that cap space because they think it's an imperative that they make their team way better fast. And they think they're going to be able to do that via some veteran free agent signing, all likelihood, probably a point guard in the mold of Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley, or maybe in their wildest dreams, Chris Paul. Um, I I just, that just seems so foolhardy to me. Um, Look, and Phoenix fans, close your ears. They beat a bunch of teams that were hurt. Like, badly hurt. I love how okay? gently you said that. <laughs> like, like, like they, they beat a bunch of teams that were badly hurt. So the idea that you would see that and think, yo, we're, we're so close to being what the Suns were before they got Chris Paul. Like, we're basically the equivalent of that. I, and by the way, I, I don't think at any point in Zion's tenure there in New Orleans has New Orleans been as good as that bubble team we watched Phoenix be. At no point have they shown that. There's proof of concept in Phoenix. Yeah, Exactly. Even if you want to say that was an eight-game sample, New Orleans has not been that at any freaking point since Zion has been there. I just, I'm just really confused. And, and again, I think we've said this too. Griff has had, he has to have some credible intel that says Zion is antsy. Because if not, I don't understand this. Boy, you got a terrible body, ridiculous knees, um, you better pray we give you a max contract after your fourth season, brother. Are you are you kidding me? I think the entire league has intel that Zion is unhappy. Like, mm. like I don't think it's a coincidence that I wrote something. Uh, Brian Windhorst wrote something. Zach Lowe said something, and every other reporter is kind of insinuating that Zion is unhappy. <laughs> like mm. these things are aren't like coming mm. out of nowhere. Like th- these are real issues that they're facing. That's where you get to the real Chris Paul effect. Which is not that they got to the finals, which is not that they're now, you know, a contender who Everybody's we have to take happy. seriously. <laughs> yeah. Devin Booker is in a completely different state right. of mind. There, right. There's right. a psychic value to making the life of your great young player that much easier to where they look out on the court and they don't dread the guys they're playing with. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is incredibly valuable. So if that's what Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley can get you, 
that's that's worth whatever you're gonna pay. I can't believe Zion didn't like Stephen Adams clogging <laughs> up his paint and bricking layups. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think GMs like it too because it does almost like rationalize everything else they did, or at least clean up everything else they did. Like, if you're feeling pressure, like Griffin is in New Orleans, you could import a Kyle Lowry, make the playoffs, and all of a sudden, like, oh, whew, I could focus on these other things because I bought myself some more time here. Um, but it's not just Lowry to the Pelicans that I think is is what people are talking about. That's the most that's the clearest one to one example of the Chris Paul effect. I do think you're starting to hear other teams uh, circle Lowry. I mean, Philly is the prime example, but Dallas is another team that is clearly on a different level than New Orleans. But I think I think it was John Hollinger said like they're going to chase Kawhi, and when that doesn't happen because Kawhi is assumed to come back to the Clippers, they're going to pivot to Lowry. I think that's a maybe an in-between of both things that we're talking about. Like, it makes some sense. I don't love giving long-term money to a 35-year-old point guard who's taken 30 million charges at this point. Uh, but, you know, getting an adult in the room with Luca to, to play off of him, that, I think, is actually not a bad idea. A lot of it depends on just how your cap situation breaks out. Like, when guys' extensions are due and when you have to pay them and all that stuff. Because there's sometimes when paying a veteran just doesn't matter that much. It doesn't hurt you to, to give Kyle Lowry a couple years at a big number. And so, again, the value of putting Luka Doncic on a court with someone he trusts, knowing he can give the ball up and get it back, like those things, those things matter. And we saw that in the playoffs with him where every time he didn't have the ball in his hands, you just weren't sure if you could trust Jalen Brunson to complete the plays he needed to complete or if Tim Hardaway Jr. was having one of his off nights. What, where else are we going to go here? That's, that's an incredibly valuable thing. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I, I think... To me, how valuable is it? I, I, to me, in the postseason, right, LeBron and Luka and these guys who are very heliocentric players are going to shoulder that burden. <laughs> like, Luka's not going to be like, all right, Kyle, we're going to share postseason possessions as far as table setting and setting up the team. Ultimately, it's going to be on those guys. That's why I question the Westbrook move. That's why I question, like... Is Lowry the thing that ultimately is needed when I watch Dorian Finney-Smith and, you know, Powell and all of these guys, uh, Kleba, all of these guys brick wide open jump shots in playoff settings, right? Like, I watch their wing situation not be good. But again, the, the, the wing is the most valuable commodity in all of NBA basketball. So maybe the pivot is to do that. I, I just wonder... How much this matters, but you know, to echo what Rob just said, if the psychic value is that Luca just feels free and he feels like, you know, he feels more uninhibited by having a guy who he can just throw the ball to now and organize and professionalize everything without Luca having to lift a finger, maybe not, not even maybe, that's definitely worth the cost. There's just such a fine line between if you're a guy like Luca or LeBron or, or again one of these heliocentric guys between being the person who wants to create everything and feeling like you, I have yes. to do yep. everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you you want to walk that line or, or ideally get as far away from that extreme of it as possible. Like I love, <laughs> I distinctly can remember possessions when LeBron was in Cleveland or his first his first season with the Lakers with the baby Lakers where he would, he would start pointing at people, he would throw, like, it wouldn't even be a pass. He'd just, like, shove it over, untuck his jersey, and you could tell he was just disgusted. Like, I'm giving y'all, go ahead, do, do, go ahead, do something, right? Like, that, and you could tell by year two, he was no longer doing that. 
right? Like he he felt like he had guys around him who he could count on and he could trust. And there is something to that mattering and, and the value of that. Because that, that first baby Lakers season, like there was a lot of LeBron tossing the ball, not moving, <laughs> pouting in a corner. <laughs> like it happened all the time. It's a great segue, though, because I did want to talk about Lonzo Ball, kind of the other side of this uh, Pelicans pursuit of Kyle Lowry. Much like we were talking about with Buddy Hill, it seems like every team in the NBA is rumored to have interest in Lonzo Ball. Which, I, I, If I was the Pelicans, I would maybe think about that a little bit harder. Uh, but it does seem like just based on rumblings and there's a Rich Paul interview where he gave a pretty pointed uh, response to Chris Haynes that like, you know, we're, we're looking at all of our options. Um it does seem like he'll probably end up elsewhere. My first question, Rob, is are we Lonzo Ball optimists now? I, I don't really, I can never really get the sense of where I land with Lonzo because he had a good season last year, but it took a while to get there. I think contextually, yes. You know, if you can get him in the right spots, if you have him in the right, in the right structure, absolutely. So some of these options make a lot more sense to me than others. Like we've been talking about the Bulls ever since the trade deadline. That just makes so much sense to me, especially in a post- Nikola Vucevic world. You know, you have a playmaking big who can do some of the half-court stuff, who can let Lonzo play off the ball. That makes a lot of sense. Let him be a transition player running with Zach Levine. I like that. But then I go back and forth on, like, he's been linked to the Pacers. Is Lonzo Ball a Rick Carlisle player? I, You know, he's he's definitely... He's definitely savvy enough and quick enough to be in that kind of, like, flow-style offense. Like, he makes sense for that, but I think he would probably great against some of the structure that Carlisle likes. Like, I, I, I can't quite settle on that. And that's kind of the question for every team, for every coach, for every front office. Does he fit our personnel? Does he fit our personalities and the way we want to play? Because Lonzo's a very particular kind of taste. You know, the reason why I'm such a big Lonzo guy is because I think he just has a mind and an aptitude for understanding the game. That no question. It's just, it's at a very high level, right? And I think some of the stuff that he was bad at the shooting, shooting is one thing, which he's clearly shown at volume last year that he's a way better shooter than he was. So I'm like, all right, he's checked that box. I think some of the stuff that he struggled with was when and where to be aggressive, when to place the ball in Lonzo, in um, excuse me, in Zion's hand on pick and rolls, like when to dump it off, like the timing of that. And that's why I'm worried that he's gonna leave because he was figuring that stuff out. I think the stuff that we complained about with Lonzo was his lack of aggression on the ball, like where he just wouldn't take it to the rack or he wouldn't just pull up for a quick jumper while he was wide open or he wouldn't just do these things. I think the more that he plays with the guys around him, the more that he figures out which plays make sense to make and when. If he goes to a new team, he's going to have to relearn that all over again. And, you know, that kind of sucks. But I'm high on Lonzo because I just think he can figure it out no matter what it is, and he's gotten himself skill-wise to a point where there's no glaring holes in his game anymore. And somebody that smart, that's a dude that I want on my team, man. And we've gone through so many cycles with him because yeah. he was a number two pick, because he played for the Lakers. He's 23 years old. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with Waz. If I'm a team I'm and I feel even, oh, if I feel even okay about my roster situation around him, I'm, I'm betting on the brain. You know where he would be best? Back with the Lakers. Lakers. Like, I was just about <laughs> to say that. Right? Because he could he could run the offense Bro. when LeBron isn't on the court and he's shooting. I'm a little more 
I want to see a second really good season of three point shooting to really believe it. But like so Bruh. far, I've seen I'm him optimistic. And him and Caruso playing with LeBron and AD. Just run like, it back. Yeah. Ugh. That would be also, great. We've got two really good three point shooting seasons from him now. Yeah. Two in a row. Pretty high volume. I think it's pretty legit. Me too. The, the first one wasn't super high volume, though. Six six attempts a game from three, 37.5%. That's pretty, pretty good. All right, Justin. All right, Lon- okay, Lonzo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're um, winning over hearts and minds here on group chat today. Right, right. Yeah, I'm in the bag for Lonzo. I just always have been. <laughs> real, real come up for the Ball Brothers. <laughs> like they were at the bottom, and now everyone seems to be back in on them. Um, so, in addition to Lonzo, though, uh, I wasn't aware of this until I really started digging into this. There are a million point guards on this market. Let me just run through a list of uh, the more prominent ones. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Kemba Walker seems to be highly available in a trade. Malcolm Brogdon, same thing. Dennis Schroeder is most likely going to be an uh, unrestricted free agent. Uh, Goran Dragic, Derek Rose, Campaign, Reggie Jackson, Devontae Graham, Colin Sexton is out there. There's just so many freaking point guards out there. Uh, I'm just curious, like, well, let me ask this wise like is there one of those guys from this let's call it the b tier of guys uh that jumps out to you as someone you would be keying in on because you do have options uh probably spencer dinwiddie injury and all i just think people don't i don't think the perception of how good he is um matches what he actually does out on the floor so i think he's going to be relatively affordable um, compared to the produ- to the production that he's going to give. And he is, to me, capable of being a lead dog point guard um, for anybody. I-, I just think the world of that guy, it sucks that he got injured again. But I think, man, if he could come back reasonably healthy from that knee, that's the guy to me. Um, not that I don't love Mike Conley, but but I think he's found, he found something in Utah. I think they're willing to pay him. Um, Mike Conley's my second favorite of those, um, right. but but it's it's Dinwiddie to me because he's still pretty young, and he's just a really good player. Robert, you a Dinwiddie pro guy? Sure, especially as a guy who can fit with a lot of other guards. Right. Like he he just has that kind of give and take to his game. Where even though he isn't a dead eye shooter. He's flexible enough. He moves well enough. I think he could fit in a lot of different backcourts. He can come off your bench for you if that's what your situation needs to be. There's just a lot of give to his skill set. So I, I do like that about him a lot. You really like his endeavors in the cryptocurrency ranks? Yeah. You're a big Bitcoin guy? <laughs> um, I, I do think Kemba Walker is interesting because, and we said this at the time, like the Celtics kind of dumped him in order to move on and, and start fresh. And OKC was probably looking at him as like, oh, this could be our new Danny Green where like, you jumped a little early and we'll just get the asset that you could have gotten out of him. I don't know. He, he strikes me as someone that it really comes down to the medicals with him. But if you're optimistic on that end, it's not a bad bet to buy low and hope that he could be just like Danny Green, that people are were underestimating him. And then he actually had more to him. I mean, if the Pelicans just completely strike out, like maybe that's uh, you go with him because maybe he'll have fewer years at big money on his contract rather than Lowry. I don't know. He's he's interesting to me. And of course, I, I always want to see our UConn brethren do well. See, this is where I start talking myself into Russell Westbrook because there was a lot of connection in, in the rumor mill between the Lakers and like, could they get Kemba now that he's available? 
and if, if if you're looking at those two options, you can start to see the appeal of someone like Russ. And I, I'd wager that's the case against a lot of this group that we just outlined, where, you know, a guy, a lot of guys who can do one or two things well, who may be a defensive liability or maybe not. I think in Kemba's case, just given his size and especially with his injury history, I think he's definitely on that side of things right now. You know, you can, you can start to see the appeal of someone like Russ who, again, provided he's healthy, can just give you more stuff. You know, yeah. there's there's always something to that. You got to want the guy that's going to actually play. And, you know, the reason, like, because what I was about to say was, if Kemba's healthy, I'd rather him than Russ. That's not even a freaking question, right? But the reason why he's available is that he's not healthy. You know, like, so that, that kind of answers your own question there. Like, he's just not going to be available. Um, it seems like we're at the point of no return with his knee. Because it's been two years now. With this, this isn't just one season. It's two years now where his knee has just been acting up. And so, yeah, while Kemba, you know, New York City guy, obviously I'll be rooting for him until the day he no longer picks up a basketball. But last season to me was just, it just said it all. He couldn't stay on the floor. And even when he did play, he was just a shell of himself. Right. Well, all right, let's uh, pivot here to some of the bigger names in the market. I feel like we've already talked a lot about these, so I'm considering this the already over-discussed star lightning round portion of this podcast. Um, so we could move kind of quickly here. Uh, first with Kawhi. So Lawrence Frank kind of addressed the media yesterday and, and commented on Kawhi for the first time, basically gave a nothing answer and was just like, we're focused on his health, you know, we're... We're excited to have him back if he want, want, wants to come back. We'll see. Yada, yada. Um, is anybody worried about Kawhi? It does seem like that's the one thing I should mention, that he, he could miss most of next season, it sounds like. They probably want to take their time with this one. Um, Rob, are you worried at all that Kawhi might pull a fast one and, and go elsewhere? Why would I be worried about that? I'm, I'm, follow, follow your heart, Kawhi. I'm, I'm with whatever you want. You guys have a bond, right? You're both from Texas, or you spent a lot of time in Texas. <laughs> He's, he is not from Texas, but, you know, we overlapped. It counts. Right. Yeah. You guys are best friends. <laughs> you were within the same, like, 100-mile radius. Uh, Waz, what do you think? I don't want to be conspiratorial. Uh-oh. Ooh, I like this. However, when they did that thing in the summer of 2019 to mortgage their future for Paul George and bring Kawhi Leonard in, I think there was an understanding that the guy was going to be there long-term. Period. I thought you were going to tell me he wants to go to the Pacers or something. No, 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 no. I think think there's a wink and a nod, like, I'm I'm staying here after this one deal that we signed. If, If you guys are making trades into 2025 to get the guy that I handpicked to get in here... I'm going to be here when those picks, et cetera, et cetera, convey. So I think there's an understanding. I know that's illegal in the NBA. But it would it, never happen. It, it could never happen. No one's ever done right. it before. So I think it was Paul George. That extension was agreed upon before they traded for him. The extension he signed last summer. And Kawhi re-signing with these cats this summer was already agreed upon two years ago. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to leave, you know, the San Diego obsession, the all of it. The way he moved heaven and earth to get here, it just seems... I don't, I don't, I don't think that's happening for all the reasons right. I just said. 
it's never happened before with a star player definitely going home mm-hmm. and forcing uh, a bunch of transactions and not giving any commitments long term, right? I mean, but that, you know, you know, that player also didn't have the fan base call his mother a whore, uh, throw batteries at him. Um, what did Dan Gilbert say in that ridiculous Comic Sans letter? He called him a traitor and this, like, I, I it's think... convincing, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a different relationship between Balmer, Uncle Dennis, Kawhi, and LeBron and Dan Gilbert. Okay, let's, uh, let's move to our next uh, star here. Uh, ben Simmons. Seemed like there was some momentum going into the draft and then it completely fell flat. I'm sure that has nothing to do with, uh, you know, certain Philadelphia people maybe wanting to drive up a market going into the draft. Uh, here's my question. This is, we'll call this the Ben Simmons death pool, <laughs> which <laughs> just a name. I'll just say that. Uh, when do we see a Ben Simmons deal? I guess, do you think we'll see a Ben Simmons deal before the season? And if not, when was, what do you think? I don't think a deal is close because of the deals that were leaked already, like the Ben Simmons Golden State deal that got leaked, that shows me Maury's not serious right now. If if he's if that's what his demands are for the dude that stunk up the joint a few weeks ago, like completely and utterly stunk up the joint. The dude, by the way, who's not talking to y'all. So y'all like y'all can bring him back, but it's gonna be completely toxic after one. Joel Embiid completely threw him under the bus. I, I think he's still uh, Simmons is still recovering from them damn tire tracks. And two, Simmons is clearly demonstrating. He's clearly told y'all, I don't want to fuck with you no more. So this idea that you want to ask for the bank while everybody knows that Simmons is off of you and done, it, it, it shows me that Maury is like, I'm chilling right now. I'm not serious about these deals. That's that's all that says to me. I think it's toxic enough that they're obviously going to trade him, but not tox- not so toxic that they're going to trade him this offseason. I think they're going to I think it's going to be kind of a Jimmy Butler in Minnesota type deal. Mm. He's going to come back, he's going to play a couple games half-heartedly. Maybe he gets traded like late November, early December or something like that. So when we see Rachel Nichols at the Sixers compound, that's what we'll know. <laughs> see, the problem the problem with that is the problem with that as a strategy is the first time this dude doesn't take a wide open shot or bricks two free throws in a row in Philly's building, that's a fucking problem. Yeah. Those people are going to have problems with him. So this idea that Maury could be like, oh, we'll just trot him out there. You trust that this dude is going to be in the headspace to play in such a way that teams want him in that building and with Joel? Please, I don't know what in Ben Simmons' makeup would suggest that this guy is just going to have the fortitude to come in and and be a a soldier about this. Like, the second he passes up an open freaking six-foot floater to pass it way out to 30 feet again, it's all hell is going to break loose in there. Yeah, there's probably enough people or enough executives that can convince themselves that Ben Simmons, despite his playoff struggles, is still a type of guy you can yes. build something around. Or you mm-hmm. could be your two or your three or whatever. Um, I'm not so sure that's the case when he's just getting lambasted If he by starts the next Philly season fandom. on the exact same note that he ended off this one, his trade value is going, like, whatever, Maury. Do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And this next one is connected. Um, does Dame Lillard need to be more careful? <laughs> Which... Yo, had an interesting discussion with our friend Henry Abbott the other day. I Um, I I was 
I don't know if it was on purpose, but I had missed the whole thing. I feel like Dame has been completely re- like reasonable and pretty upfront as as upfront as you could be as a superstar that clearly like wants things to change, whether it's yeah. uh, just the makeup of his team or where he is playing. But like, seems like he's been pretty stand up for the most part. Look, this is this is something that we got to explain to people in our prof- um, who are listening and don't work in our profession, right? We know, we all know, the four of us know, or three of us, sorry, um, know Henry. knows. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Know Henry pretty well. And Henry would not trot this out there if he hadn't spoken to somebody and did the work to figure out that this claim was very credible. Right? That being said, Dame could also be like, I might do it. I might not. Right. Yes. That's that's where we're at right now. Like that's, and and to me, that doesn't make anybody look bad or good. It just is. This is the nature of human beings. We change our minds sometimes, right? Like my favorite Kanye album used to be late registration. Now I think it's watch the throne. I don't know. I change my (laughs) mind all the time about things. Let's not go, let's not go that far. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where this leaves us with Dame, but um, I do wonder if this and the Ben thing are connected, where it's like, if you're Philly, why not wait to see what happens with Dame before settling for a CJ? Um, it doesn't seem like there's a natural destination for Dame, is my only concern here. Like, if it's not Philly, who jumps in here? It, could it be a curveball team? Like, I don't know, Houston? I'm just throwing that off the top of my head. A lot of the, the contenders that want to take that next step that are in a market that might be interesting to Dame. Yeah, it, it, the Knicks are really the only obvious candidate. They're not contenders, but I think if you're Dame and you want to leave and you want to start somewhere where you have confidence that there's going to be an ability to get the types of people in your building that you need. I think the end, you know, it's like you're leaving Portland for, like, you're really changing things up. You know, like, you're leaving Portland, which is, you know, shouts to Portland. Great city from what I hear. Great food, <laughs> great coffee, great microbreweries. Never, never been. Great babe. beards. I heard it's great. <laughs> um, you're describing me now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but New York City, it ain't you know, in so many different ways. And I think the Knicks are attractive to Dame. I do. I I just think, again, um, Portland has never been nobody's idea of a free agent destination. You know, the type of place that you can get competent veteran minimum guys to take discounts and all of that stuff to go. Like, I think it's just got more resources at the disposal of a Dame Lillard, right? Um, and I, and so for all those reasons I just mentioned, while they're not a ready-made contender, like Philly would be, to me, up there with any championship team the minute freaking Dame step, stepped on that freaking, um, in that building. They're right there with the Lakers, with Brooklyn, with whoever you want to name as soon as Dame gets there. That won't be the case with the Knicks, but I think the chance to become something that matters is definitely higher than it is right now in Portland. When the whole James Harden situation for the Sixers, when they tried to trade for him last season, I think has, 
you know, between that and Ben Simmons has kind of pushed that franchise along in terms of its sense of urgency, where if, if there were any kind of roadblocks for the Sixers in putting in more stuff, more picks, more swaps, more whatever to try to swing for Dame, I think those are bridges that can be crossed ultimately, even though right now they're asking for the world for Ben Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, let's uh, pivot to more big picture questions. Let's let's use our imagination here. The NBA is our canvas, and we're just looking for answers here. Um which non-obvious team faces the most intriguing offseason? Rob, the artist among us, uh, please, what is your answer? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what an intro. Um, for me, it's the Nets. And we talked about the Spencer Dinwiddie of it all. Maybe he's already gone. Maybe they're bringing him back. Maybe he's a sign-and-trade candidate. I don't know. So there's that intrigue. There's the you know slew of supporting cast guys who are now free agents for them jeff green blake griffin bruce brown who all would be deserving of more money if they wanted to chase that elsewhere but the big question can you get anything done on an extension for katie harden and kyrie irving before the extension deadline and do those guys even want extensions because if you can lock them in you give yourself a just a different level of security as a franchise that puts you in a different place otherwise you're kind of banking on them wanting to come back for their option years and kind of dealing with the whims of those three guys all at once. That's a lot of instability for a franchise. Yeah, I I like that answer. And the reason why it's interesting, because I think the point of being, I think LeBron has shown everybody that the point of being a big dog is that you don't do long extensions because you don't have to. Is that that's the only way to retain any sort of autonomy and power in this league as a superstar is that you don't do extensions. So, you know, I think when LeBron signed his extension with the Lakers, it was a capitulation of like, yo, I'm about to be 50. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I need to, let me lock this in. It's, you know, it's a nod to his own mortality. I think those guys in Brooklyn, you know, They're not lacking for self-confidence and self-importance, right? So the idea that they would rush into an extension with the Nets um, doesn't jibe with what what we know about them and what we've heard, what reports we've heard about them exercising power. Like the whole point of them being over there is to exercise the power that they've accrued. So, I, I, you know, I don't see that happening. I'm still, you know, and maybe this is obvious, but I'm still fascinated by what Dallas does. do, I have a question too, because um, this is important to me. 
Is Luca's boy still on the staff? Do we know? Which guy? Dirk? <laughs> no, the assistant coach guy that he's cool with. Oh, Jamal Mosley? No, he's the magic coach now. Yeah, new head coach of the Orlando Magic. But they did just bring in his Slovenia national team coach, Igor Kokoskov, our old friend. Hell yeah. Uh, so so maybe may a new guy the, on the, the staff. The reason why, Jesus, man, the reason why I, um, I bring that up is because we have all this palace intrigue in Dallas about Luca and Rick and all of that stuff. And they're talking about the, the freaking front office guys and all of that. And nobody at any point talked about the dude who's on Carlisle's staff who's best friends with Luca. Who would be, by the way, who was a coaching candidate for Carlisle's job, which after he left, he recommended Jason Kidd in public and not a dude that was on his staff. That was weird. I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm very curious as to how that, because those things are still unfolding, right? Like we talked about Hardaway, we talked about Lowry, we talked about they still have to form the staff. And there's this sort of bloodbath that happened in there. And we got to see how the dust settled. I'm watching them with a very close eye as to how this thing all shakes out. And my bad, Magic fans, I didn't notice that your team hired a coach because I never <laughs> noticed anything that you guys do. To be fair, I had to look it up like yesterday because I couldn't, I literally could not remember. I'm like, is it still Jacques Vaughn? <laughs> Just like, no. Is it still Jacques? Yeah. No, Come on. Come on. No, I remember Steve Clifford. Come on. Um, no, I think, I think Dallas is also interesting because the team I have on my list is Miami and they're in a similar mm -hmm. boat where they're in that post Giannis survival mode where they made all of those decisions. It seemed like in order to clear the space to, to beckon Giannis to, away from uh, Milwaukee. And now they're kind of stuck trying to fill the void in a large part, like filling cap space with multiple players, but when they really need a star. Um, so I'm with you, Watts. I think it's interesting. I, I mean, Lowry makes some sense for me for Dallas, but um, in Miami, I'm confused. I don't think it, there's a clear answer here. I think they could just run everything back, overpay all of the guys that they have available and just say, COVID struck. We were hurt by it probably more than any other team. Uh, we have BAM progressing at light speed, Duncan Robinson, he's probably going to cost Joe Harris, if not more money on the restricted free agent market, but he is one of these guys like Buddy Heald who will just knock down any damn shot that you give it to him. Um, but is that enough? Like, Rob, is, is if they just roll things back, Victor Oladipo, who knows, but Iguodala has a team option. Kendrick Nunn has a restricted free agent. Uh, Drogic has a team option. If they just bring most of that back, are they in the next tier after the Nets? Are they good enough to compete with those teams? What do you think? I'm of two minds about it just because the last time that they overpaid everyone to run it back was how we got James Johnson and Deion Waiters and Kelly Olenek <laughs> getting huge paydays. That didn't go so great. Great point. <laughs> but, I mean, this team needs, it needs a little more juice. They're, they're just not there, especially now that the Nets are kind of ascendant in a different way, that the Bucks have figured some stuff out. We'll see what happens with the Sixers and where they land in that conversation. But I, th I think the Heat have some work to do. And, you know, I think they, they put a lot of stock in the idea that Tyler Hero could be a very important player for them. He's just not looking like that kind of prospect right now. Maybe that corrects. Maybe he finds his game again. Maybe they ultimately end up trading him or something. I don't know. 
but they I think they there are moves to be made here. They they have to they have to flex out on some of these guys and they they're probably going to have to just take a gamble on a guy like Oladipo because they do have his bird rights. He's kind of an upside candidate for them if he's able to stay even remotely healthy, but the core that they had, the core that took them to the 2020 finals, it needs it needs some renovation. Waz, what do you think about Oladipo on the Knicks is kind of like in this new prudent era where they're trading all the way back in the draft and not like just completely going for, I need this answer now type of Nick. Do you take a risk by low, maybe rehab his value, do something similar that you did with Julius Randle and just hope for the best. Does that intrigue you at all? The problem with the rehab and the guy's value is Julius Randle never looked like a shell of himself, right? Because of injuries, uh, physically, you know, I'm a depot guy um, as far as not just his game, the kind of quality of character that he is. Um, he's just, he's upbeat. He plays hard. He uplifts his teammates. He's a selfless guy, right? Uh, he's what you want an NBA player to be. And that goes from role player to superstar, you name it. I'm, I'm a fan of Oladipo and just, you know, the type of guy that he is, quite frankly. But watching him has been tough. He's just not there physically. And, uh, you know, th that first season in Indiana, we all remember it. It was revelatory. You know, like he improved his jump shot while nobody could still stay in front of him. He was a high motor guy. Uh, you know, he just, he was just like this exciting dude to watch. And he's just so divorced from that. Now, um, I don't need, I, and pfft, Put him in the tib system where he's gonna play 50 minutes a game. I I I don't think the Knicks are a fit as much as I love Oladipo. And I would love to see him restore himself to the level that he was, man, before the kneecap situation. The Knicks are another team, though, where it's like, can they bring all their guys back? Can they pay Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks and all these guys who are really important to their team? I, I don't even know if they can hold on to what they have. Yeah, I guess the beauty of the Knicks situation is they did kind of elevate a lot of those guys and you wonder maybe they could have similar success. I do think like Old Depot would be a, a example of this. Um, and he does seem like a Tibbs guy, like even though he might just completely no, he is a run guy. himself 100%. out of the league. He's, he's a grinder and I know Tibbs loves his grinders. <laughs> Not necessarily the sandwiches, but you know what I mean? Um, uh, Lowry, I should mention, is, is a Miami uh, destination that people are talking about. Do we? What do we think about the fit there? Is like a Jimmy Butler's older than the rest of the timeline. We should probably be thinking when now. Do you think Lowry, Butler, say they bring back Robinson, bam, that's like, it's enough? Yeah, I think Lowry is probably better than whatever Goran Dragic is at this point. And culturally, he is a match made in heaven for Miami. Right. Like, that's obvious <laughs> that he makes sense for them culturally. I don't know that he's moving a needle for them um, in that way. But I, I think they're, that's a really fun team to watch. Hell yeah. Him, Jimmy, Duncan Robinson, Bam, even Tyler Hero, who I haven't completely given up on. Um, I, I think that's a damn fun team to watch. I don't know that that puts them in the stratosphere of Brooklyn and Milwaukee, who just, they trounced them. They, they just, just completely just destroyed these guys. So I don't think Lowry alone does um, does enough to put them over that top. Yeah, I think that's the lesson here for both the Heat and a lot of these Eastern Conference teams is it's going to take a lot to catch up to, to Brooklyn and Milwaukee at this point. Yep. 
All right, let's uh, let's go real deep cut here. Um, we talked about some of the bigger stars in the market, but the bargain bin guys, the guys that we look on the the sheets that every website is running about, like these are the 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 best guys at their position. I'm talking about the guys in the middle who we think, oh, they just need to be in the right spot and they'll be a lot better than they have been. Uh, Waz, does anyone jump out to you? I mean, to me, it's, uh, to me again, is is Dinwiddie. I, I'm just really, mm. I'm really a fan of his. I think he he's going to go somewhere and if it breaks right, he's going to surprise a lot of people with how much he elevates what that team does. I think the context of Brooklyn over, like, because he's played incredibly well and he's done it in a diverse manner, but like, that team that was, you know, Kyrie in and out of the lineup, KD was still rehabbing the Achilles. Like, people were like, oh, okay, that's a cute unit. The team before Kyrie got there, they're like, oh, the Nets are a cute story. Like, you know, they, they the, um coming out of the crazy KG, Paul Pierce and all of that, Trey, like, this is a cute thing, but I don't think people were really paying attention to the level of production that he had. Then while he played the little bit of time that he got to play with all of the stars, like, he showed that he's willing to slot himself in to different kinds of roles. So I, I am definitely paying attention to where Dinwiddie finds himself. And also, too, I think he's one of those players who's smart enough to know where he slots into optimally. I think he has a, he's self-conscious enough about his game to be savvy in the team that he chooses and the um, situation that he puts himself in. I mean, the guy was selling Bitcoin for price. <laughs> yeah, he, he might have something to say about the bargain aspect of this. I think he's going to be gunning for that big money. Yeah, he's he's the real Ethereum here. Um, but he is kind of a, <laughs> a a nice like fallback option for some of these teams that don't win yep. the Lowry Derby. Like if he lands on the Pelicans, if he lands on Dallas, all the yeah. teams that we mentioned oh, for man, Lowry, it's like great it's a, it's a nice uh, yeah, and he fits their timeline a little bit more. He's like he would be a fine uh, plug and play type of guy. Uh, Rob, who do you have on your list? I mean, I, I can't believe this guy has already been mentioned on this podcast, but Otto Porter Jr. is oh. every team's dream minimum or biannual exception guy right now. Uh, Jay Michael at the Indy Star reported today that Porter's been out there looking for the MLE, like seeing the canvassing the market, see if that's going to be available to him. It doesn't seem like that's going to be his market. It seems like it's going to be somewhere below that, which puts a lot of teams, like we talked about the Warriors earlier, or, or the Lakers earlier, you know, seems like that could be in the running for, for a guy like Otto Porter Jr., who's, a, you know, a flexible big or a flexible forward wing who can do some passing for you, who can do some shooting for you, kind of a do-everything game. Again, do everything at a at a moderate <laughs> expectation level, but uh, could be useful to a lot of teams. And, you know, I, I also have to admit, you know, I'm a Garrett Temple guy, personally. Garrett Temple, another <laughs> minimum too. salary guy who could be available. <laughs> sure. An adult to have in your locker room, a calming presence on the court who can help a young team along. The Bulls were a winning team when he was on the floor last season. That's that's kind of an achievement in itself. So he's another guy I would look at for the minimum. I've been a Garrett Temple guy since he put J.J. Redick in a straight jacket and won me my <laughs> NCAA pool. Love you, Jay. Man, Temple on the Bulls, and I think Porter was finished with the magic. Is that right? Yeah, he was in that he was in that window Carter Jr. trade. I just like you could have told me anything and I wouldn't have known. Like, so what type of player is Porter at this point? Because I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't watch a ton of them because he tended to play on teams that were completely off the radar. 
I mean, needless to say, he has been humbled by his experience over the last <laughs> couple of years in the NBA. So I think, I think he's much more of a. I'm trying to think of a good comp for him. Kind of a. You know, a I mean, Rudy Gay is honestly a pretty good template in terms of a guy who once had delusions of you know maybe I can be this kind of player. It never really worked out for this reason or that. Then settles in as kind of like a a stretch four, occasional three. Um, you know, gives you a little bit more length, a little more presence in that regard, but knows how to knows how to read the floor, knows how to understand where he should be, how to make, you know, good swing passes, stuff like that. Just like a good, a good glue guy kind of at the combo forward spot. Which brings me to my pick, which is one Rudy Gay. Uh, Waz mentioned him up top. 15 seasons in the league. I believe he's played more seasons than playoff games uh, because he spent his entire career on the likes of the bad Grizzlies, uh, the bad Raptors, the always bad Kings and and the Spurs when they were at their lowest of what past two decades or so. But you're right, Rob, for all the things that Rob said, he's completely turned his career around to the point where he's like, he was uh, the poster board for the analytics community as everything wrong with the type of players that I think uh, anti-analytics people tend to fetishize. But he's just become like a 36% f- uh, three-point shooter. He's like, he's kind of everything you want in a veteran combo forward. And just like, I think, he, again, he would fit on a lot of different teams. So I'm excited to see him. Uh, I, I didn't pick him to be the type of guy who would be a two-decader in this league. And it seems like, you know, he could get there eventually. He was never as big a star, so it wasn't as big a story, but he's had kind of like a Vince Carter-ish renaissance, you know, late career transformation, playing for the Spurs, filling a role. He he was really good for them. It's a great comp. Um, All right, let's wrap it there. Uh, Thank you for listening yet again. Thank you to Isaiah on production. Uh, We'll be back next week at some point to talk about, hopefully, some actual maneuvers. Uh, But until then, see you next time.